Hi everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Life podcast, which is brought to you by Product Marketing Alliance. My name is Bryony Pierce, and I'm the Content Manager here at PMA. This week's podcast is sponsored by Product Marketing Co. Meta, we know. Product Marketing Co. is our very own Product Marketing Certification Programme, and it covers the A to Z of Product Marketing Essentials. With 11 modules, 68 chapters, 87 exam questions, 10 plus hours worth of learning, and official PMA certification, it's a course not to be missed. Head to pmmalliance.co forward slash pmmc for more info. In today's show, I'll be speaking to Harvey Lee, a global product marketing leader and consultant, about everything from how he got into the industry 20 or so years ago, his journey up the product marketing career ladder, the shifts he's seen during his time in the industry, global versus regional product marketing, and a ton more. Harvey's a seasoned product marketer and first entered the industry in 1997. And since then, he's held senior level positions at companies like Virgin, Microsoft, Kaspersky Labs, and Epson. I'll let Harvey dig into his journey in more detail shortly, but for now, welcome to the show, Harvey. Uh, thank you very much. It's great to be here. Oh, it's our absolute pleasure. Um, so I guess first off, we see day in, day out that product marketers come from all sorts of backgrounds, from sales to customer success to products and so on. So I know from speaking to you off air that your journey is particularly unique. Um, so could you give us a bit of a walkthrough and what your journey into product marketing looked like? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I, th- I think first thing to note is that there is no prescriptive way to get into product marketing and and there doesn't really seem even these days any formal entry you know into the into the discipline um there are some common traits and we'll talk about those a little bit uh, later on but in terms of my journey i got into it completely by accident and i don't think that's necessarily unusual for most people you it, it doesn't product marketing isn't a function that people usually start out at thinking I'm going to leave college and go into product marketing. There's always some form of uh, navigation on route to getting there from some other area. And, and, you know, my story is is no different in that respect. But so it happened totally by accident. But I started in the music industry when I was a teenager, uh, a long, long time ago. And um, what I know now is that everything that led up to me getting into product marketing was really the pre-work for me getting into product marketing, even though it wasn't per se, quote unquote, product marketing. So I started in the music industry when I was um, in my teens. I went to college and studied music. I studied sound recording. So my aspiration at the time was to be actually a recording studio engineer uh, for bands and artists. That's actually the journey I set out on. Um, And the background to that was, you know, I played in bands. I'd been roadieing on the weekends and music was my passion. and uh, over a shortish period of time, a few, a handful of years, um, my focus moved to actually touring. So when I left college, I, um, I went touring all around the world with bands. And uh, I started off at the bottom of the ladder, as you do with these things, especially when you're that young. So I started off roadieing, humping equipment, you know, humming and schlepping equipment, and uh, then worked my way up through the technical side of it, through, you know, audio engineering, and then um, once I'd done that for a couple of years, I started to diversify into sort of the business of music, um, 
whilst still being on the road. So production management, stage management, then business management, dealing with promoters, contracts, um, logistics, because uh, being on the road with a band or bands is a huge logistical operation. Um, and I cut my teeth there, really. And, and even though I, I did love it, I decided that music was my passion. Being on the road wasn't. And um, I ended up working for a record label uh, in London and when I moved to London uh, in my mid-twenties. And, and being at the label actually gave me that grounding in business. right? And it also gave me a grounding in management and a grounding in marketing. Uh, again, I didn't really know it at the time. I was just sort of on the hamster wheel and just getting on with the job. But managing uh, up-and-coming bands, dealing with record labels, contracts, lawyers, and doing the marketing. It was a small independent label, even though it was well-known at the time. And historically, uh, I had to do everything. I was dealing with the distributor every day. Uh, we were, even though, again, we didn't know it, we were putting together a direct-to-fan model um, uh, out of necessity more than anything. I was doing everything. And then sort of with the internet happened, uh, Windows 95 happened. I, I got a laptop. I discovered Mailbird and, and, and databases and the IT side of me came out. And when um, the music uh, industry side of it started uh, winding down, purely by accident, um, I answered a, a classified ad in Music Week, which is you know, the UK equivalent to Billboard, basically. Music industry bible, uh, looking for product marketing managers, but it didn't say that it wasn't in the music industry. Anyhow, again, long story short, I answered the ad, did a number of interviews, and, and it was actually the inter the interactive entertainment industry, the video games industry, looking to recruit product marketers from the music industry or any other creative industry, because at that time, you know, the video games industry or the interactive entertainment industry, as they often like to be referred to, um, were at the very, very early stages of their massive commercial development as we know it now, right? Um, so video games had all, always been there, but been very much a sort of bedroom activity. Uh, and the industry was moving from the bedroom to the living room and exploding. But there wasn't enough people with the right, not skills, but the right experiences because it was a new industry. So they were recruiting from other creative industries such as music and film and, and so on and so forth. So... I answered the call, I got a job, uh, and that was actually my first official product marketing role in 97. And um, I did that for, at that particular company, I did it for a year. And the one thing that became very evident was that actually moving industries uh, wasn't such a wrench as I thought it would be, um, because I was still in the creative world. But the, the aspects of a product marketer, I came to realize quite quickly that I'd already been doing this job. I just didn't have the title. I was doing it in a different industry. And that's where I, I had that realization that wearing all these many hats, learning, you know, significant parts of other people's jobs or functions of how to do it was actually a great grounding for this role called product marketing. So I stayed in that role for a year until a, a corporate buyout. And, and that's, that's when I ended up at Virgin and I stayed at Virgin for about three, three, four years or so. And at Virgin, I, I joined as a, a product marketer, uh, looking after the US portfolio. So again, I was learning, growing my skills, um, uh, working with the US, uh, managing their portfolio, uh, through Virgin who licensed it. And, um, uh, again, another long story short, I ended up managing the whole marketing department, uh, for one reason and another. So I sort of, 
not grew out of, but um, expanded out of just product marketing into more general marketing. So I had advertising and PR and, and the team under my remit. And that's really where um, team management was introduced. I was introduced to team management. It wasn't introduced to me. Uh, I had to build a team, nurture a team and, um, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, and that, that again built extra muscle in the marketing discipline outside of product marketing. And then, um, that was an incredible experience learning all the time. And then, uh, I got the call from Microsoft. So again, Microsoft were launching this new shiny thing that we now know is Xbox. But at the time, uh, it was still almost a prototype, uh, back in 2000, 2000, 2001. And, uh, I joined Microsoft as the 12th employee in the European office, uh, before it launched in Europe, uh, as a product marketer, actually. Uh, and my, I was the only product marketer for Microsoft on Xbox in Europe. Um, and we had, I think we had 12 launch markets. I joined three months before it was launched. Um, and we didn't even have a prototype in the office. So it was, or, or, or an early release model. So it was all hands to the pump. It was very much a startup environment. Uh, you didn't even feel that you were a Microsoft or a huge um, uh, corporate entity because we had our own agency. It was very autonomous um, and very, very fluid, as as we know startups are. And um, I didn't expect it, but I stayed 12 years. And um, I saw um, everything from a hardware point of view, especially, uh, that happened. There isn't an Xbox out there that doesn't currently, soon to change, but currently doesn't have my hands on it. Uh, in Europe. So I did the first Xbox, I did the Xbox 360, I did the current Xbox as well, um, the Xbox One, because um, uh, I left Microsoft actually as it was shipping to retail about seven years ago. Um, so one of the great things about Microsoft and the Xbox journey was uh, scalability. So that was really for me personally in terms of growth in the function of product marketing as the company was growing, as the category was growing, as the market was changing, I grew with it, right? And uh, you might say I, re- I rode a crest of a wave, but it was um, uh, that scalability actually grew a lot of muscle as a, as a, as a professional. Uh, and that's probably one of the fundamental reasons I stayed so long is because there was always a challenge. There was always uh, something to learn, something new to do, uh, and it kept it exciting and interesting. Um, but that came to an end, um, and actually I decided uh, to bring that to an end when there wasn't anything new for me personally uh, to, to learn, and I wanted to carry on growing at that velocity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when I joined, that was a no-brainer, but by the time I left, it was a stable, mature, cyclical business, uh, and I, wa- I just needed something different from a personal growth point of view. So I joined Kaspersky Lab um, as global product marketing director and I was very much looking for that step up at that time into a global role so I moved out of a EMEA role European Middle East Africa role into a global role um, and moved into a different category so I spent about 14 years in music 14 years or so a bit more in video games uh, and I moved into a different category so I moved into uh, internet security consumer-led internet security and I was there for nearly five years uh, leading the team remotely and um that was, again, an incredible challenge, but, again, an incredible opportunity to grow uh, as well. And more recently, I've spent a couple of years at uh, Seiko Epson on the consumer print side. But, again, in it, 
in a different region. So I've been working exclusively in emerging markets around the Middle East and Africa uh, and Russia. And uh, again, that added something uh, as well in terms of muscle and growth and, 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 and insight. So, you know, if I, if I look back, um, I would say that the diversity has has kept me grounded in product marketing. The variety, the depth and breadth uh, has kept me engaged with the discipline of product marketing. Um, And it keeps you really, really busy. But I don't think it's for everyone, you know. I mean, we see on the Slack channel, there's people coming to to product marketing and there's a sudden realisation, especially for newbies um, or entries to the, the, the function that, there's so much to do. Being at the intersection of, of just sales, product and marketing doesn't really do it justice in terms of diversity. We're at the intersection of absolutely everything, especially if we're in a global role. So for me, that worked out great because I love to wear many hats. Mm-hmm. Right? And if you love to wear many hats, this could be a discipline that's suitable for you. Um, if you don't, and if you like to specialise in one thing, maybe it's not. But, mm-hmm. you know, each individual needs to take that into consideration for themselves, don't they? Mm-hmm. And then just to backpedal to those first few roles you had, um, and it's another mm. kind of interesting conversation that I see quite often, people saying that product marketing hasn't been around for um, too long. And I think it might have even been last week on the Slack channel, I saw a thread um, people saying it's not been around for more than five, ten years or something. But obviously <laughs> you've had these roles back in the 90s. Yeah. Was it yeah, like, yeah. Really, the job titles that we see today, so you know, product marketing manager, senior product yeah. marketing manager, or was it under another yeah. another title? No, it was still using the same titles, but it has changed. Um, and I think with that change, the perception of it has changed uh, to some degree as well. So um, when I got into product marketing back in the 90s, um, it was quite binary um, in that it was largely consumer-led. So my background is consumer. It was pre-internet, uh, which I know for most people will be a very di- abstract concept <laughs> to try to consider. Um, let's not go into details um, yet. Uh, and so I think it was quite clear and I won't say fully defined, but it did exist. But the scope of it and uh, the penetration of it was quite light and it was very much more on the consumer side. I think with the advent of the internet and the cloud and all the tools that, that people have now and the change in business models, you know, especially from, you know, if we look really high level from ownership to access, you know, from products to services, that, you know, the market landscape has completely changed in that product marketing now, especially if we look at our own community, for example, as one, one example through the PMA, is predominantly B2B. Mm-hmm. And that changes a lot, right? Um, it changes the prism of what you look through as a product marketer quite a bit. And of course, the empowerment, and this is the key part, the empowerment that product marketers have now compared at their fingertips, literally at their fingertips, compared to what, you know, a product marketer like myself or someone who's been around for a while um, used to have to go about doing things um, is completely different. So I think that the internet changed it, uh, and obviously the internet, in the way that we use it and we know it, isn't that old. Mobile isn't that old. It's 10, 11 years old, really, if you think about it. In, gen- in, in mass adoption terms, I consider mobile started with the iPhone um, and, and went from there. So in some regards, yes, it is only 10 years old, but it, it's through a certain prism. It's 10 years old if you're looking at the cloud-based B2B 
market um, mobile first or mobile native view, mm-hmm. but it did exist before, but it might not have been that visible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then out of curiosity, so it's like you mentioned, it's obviously changed a lot now we have the internet. How did other, like, for example, if you're gathering customer feedback and going out speaking to the customers, how much more yeah. difficult would that have been, like, pre-internet? and all the, Like, how did you go about yeah. certain tasks like that? Well, the, the world was manual. I mean, again, it's another abstract concept, right? Um, uh, you used to have to pick up the phone. concept. Oh my god, I have to speak to a human being. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean that's literally that's how it was, right? And and in a way, and I know this might sound quite profound, everything has changed, but nothing has changed from a product marketer's point of view. Why has everything changed? For reasons we understand, the internet, the tools, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and you know that empowerment through data. But at the same time, human beings haven't changed. And I saw a great quote, and I, I can't paraphrase it perfectly, but I'll, cre- I'll credit um, Red Associates in Copenhagen with this. It was a research company that I used uh, a number of years ago. And basically, you know, you can you can measure things in numbers, in quantity, and you know, uh, quantitative research is fantastic for that. But humanity and human beings are qualitative. And if you're going to talk to a customer, you can't do it through these tools. You actually have to talk to a human being, right? So in the old days, back to your question, in the old days, we spoke to customers. And, you know, nothing's changed today. We still speak to customers today. We pick up the phone. We have meetings. We do research. We do focus groups, etc. All the different touch points that we have, uh, to name but just a couple. But uh, so that way, that hasn't changed. The, the challenge is, you know, how do you scale it, right? So if, if you if you want to apply a, a quantitative measure to it, those conversations, that's where it starts getting a little bit trickier. So if you're having a conversation with 10 customers, obviously it's not a robust data set. But, you know, if you've got an international network, uh, and at some point in my career I did have, um, especially at Microsoft, we'd have 27 offices talking to X amount of customers, and I would literally, I or my assistant at the time, would have to coordinate all the manual feedback back, and it would end up in a spreadsheet, mm-hmm. right? And, and you know that would take possibly two to four weeks, whereas now that would be done in less than a week. You click a button, and there it is in a dashboard online in the cloud for everyone to see and share, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that really, you know, the scalability of it and the ability to share it. Is, is one of the key aspects of the difference. It was a, it was a lot more manual. Uh, it took a lot longer. So that empowerment wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, like I say, in a way, nothing's changed. You still have to talk to your customers. And I think that one of the things that people forget, not just product marketers, but just in general in business, is that all businesses are people-led, right? So mm-hmm. you can have quantities of things, but at the end of the day, and you can have a product, but people don't buy products per se, and you're communicating to a person and using old-fashioned communication tools like numbers and words and psychology. You know, all of these kind of um, human-based attributes to do your job, uh, as well as all the other great stuff that's available to you as well, right? Mm-hmm. So measuring the difference between qualitative and quantitative between data and human is one of the finest balancing acts a product marketer will have to do to build that holistic view of the customer or the consumer or the user whatever you want you call it 
Um, so in a way, that never changed. It's just it's not the what, it's the how. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, and then I guess going back, we mentioned it a little bit earlier in terms of, you know, there's no set path to get into product marketing. Mm. So then what would your advice be to someone who wants to get into product marketing but has absolutely no experience in product marketing? Mm. Well, I, I think the first question I would ask someone who's thinking about it is why do you want to get into product marketing? What is it about product marketing that interests you? Because, you know, as we, we spoke about earlier, it's not necessarily for everybody. So um, I'll give you an example. When I um, uh, when I was at Microsoft, I, I in, interviewed uh, a number of people for a role, a particular role. It was a product marketing role in the uh, Xbox Live team, uh, the online gaming service. And I met with... Um, people on paper who you would think would be quite an easy fit on paper. People from uh, telco, ISP backgrounds, they had the right sort of online technical know-how the, and, and profile of the company that they work for. But what became very clear was that they might have had the technical know-how, but they, they didn't have the passion, they didn't have um, the ability to spin all the plates at the same time. Uh, not just spin the plates, but actually bring it all together uh, as well. Uh, and actually didn't have any interest in the subject matter. So, you know, in this case, it's online and it's video games. And uh, there was the, the standout um, candidate for that particular role was in complete, uh, was in complete contradiction to who you might have chosen on paper. And I'll tell you why. So this young fellow came in. He went to a supermarket, ironically, and, and I remember seeing his resume, his CV, and thinking, this guy works at a supermarket, why am I even reading his CV? But the main thing that hooked me on his, on his background was what he did outside of work. Uh, and he ran an online fanzine for video games, PC games, but Microsoft branded PC games. He was really a Microsoft fanboy. And he was basically, long story short, he was basically doing the job in his in his own time. Um, so what he got paid for became irrelevant. What he was actually doing uh, in his own time with his own drive and motivation became more important. So I thought, you know, this is a contractor role. Um, there's no harm in seeing him. So I brought him in. And once we walked through uh, what he did outside of his day job, it became very clear that actually he's doing product marketing anyway. Mm-hmm. He's just paid for it or recognized for it. And, uh, you know, he had the passion, the drive. He was very analytical. He ran his own database. He knew how to, he knew how to do all, uh, marketing automation uh, before marketing automation became a thing. Um, he coded a bit. I mean, and he was a great communicator and he has great energy about him. So, um, so I brought him in. Uh, I knew that, he, you know, I knew he had all the key attributes of a great product marketer, right? Like he was data driven, he was focused on the customer, he could spin all the plates, wear all the hats, bring, consolidate it, bring it all together and communicate effectively. That's not all the attributes, but that's some of the key ones in this particular role. And, um, I, I just thought he, he, he was worth, uh, uh, giving a chance to. And I knew that he was a jewel in the rough. 
and that I would need to be hands-on as his manager to help coach him. And that would take six to 12 months to sort of shape him into coming into a big organisation because at, at that time, we're not talking about the early days of Xbox, we're talking about halfway through the cycle, about six years in. And um, and he managed the data great. He became a very, very popular member of the team. And um, in his first year, he won Microsoft Contractor of the Year. Nice. Uh, two years in a row. And now he's a senior product evangelist uh, based out in head office in Seattle. He's been there ever since. Mm-hmm. I think he's been there longer than I was. So, <laughs> you know, um, so, you know, I, I look beyond the CV sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and I look at the attributes and the traits and think, is this person a great fit? Because I know that uh, what's on paper only tells half the story, mm-hmm. if that sometimes. Yeah. that's a great case study for though because I always find and it's not even just product marketing in all jobs you find you'll see the job descriptions you know must have 50 years experience in this industry yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, well how do you get that experience if no one gives you a job but that's um, it's a great yeah. example of why yeah I mean I, you know, listen at the end of the day we all suffer from this right so when we're all looking for a new role or a new challenge we all go through this process and unfortunately it's still very pervasive today in that um What's what's written is um, not everything, and you need to, from both sides of the equation, either as somebody applying for the role or as a hiring manager posting it, uh, you need to see outside the box, to to coin a cheesy phrase. And um, unfortunately, often that doesn't happen for lots of reasons, because uh, HR now is so machine automated. So you can't apply that context or a human eye over uh, something you might be interested in because it will just be rejected, you know, by the system. And so, you know, thing, thing, in a way, it does get a little bit t- automation does make things a little bit tougher mm-hmm. for candidates. But that's why I think uh, I think the power of the network is and communities is is really strong. Yeah. Um, and you can you can still break through. No, I totally agree. And then for someone who's kind of brand new to product marketing, you touched on some of the skills that you were looking for then um, in this new hire. But what would you say the essentials are that people need to be able to grasp right off the bat? Um, And then how, if someone's never held a product marketing role, how would someone go about learning those kind of skills or traits? Yeah, so I think that at the high level, there's two ways to look two, two ways to look at it. You've got hard skills and soft skills, right? So if you're thinking about getting into this 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 game, uh, start off with um, in my mind, I, I literally got a column down the middle of my mind. One side is hard skills, one side is soft skills. First of all, uh, if you're coming completely green and completely fresh into product marketing, obviously focus on the hard skills, get great at data. Um, get great at understanding what it means to be uh, the not just the product champion, uh, but the customer champion as well. Uh, everybody in an organization claims that they are the voice of the customer. Uh, and in reality, you all are. Uh, there's no, there shouldn't be one single owner who is the voice of the customer, but um, yours should be the loudest. Um, and in order to do that, uh, not only do you need to um, take into consideration other people's uh, views of what the customer uh, looks like, uh, but you need to have extremely strong data and views yourself and amalgamate it uh, so that people see you as the oracle of the customer. So I think, you know, um, learning those hard skills around data and numbers 
as one. So focus on the quantitative, uh, learn the tools, literally like the back of your hand, uh, because the bit that I'll get onto in a minute uh, kicks on from that. Uh, learn what it means to do insight work around the customer, um, qualitative and quantitatively. So uh, spend time with the business or the market insights department, uh, go on field trips, sit in um, focus groups, learn uh, and understand how uh, all the different types of quantitative surveys are put together. Understand, understand and get that grounding in the how all these things get put together. Because once you've got that, you've got it and you just need to keep it topped up. Then you need to focus on your soft skills, right? It's the soft skills that will make you a success, not the hard skills. And I don't know whether that's controversial or not. It's only my opinion. But when you go for an interview, let's say you go to your first or your second product marketing interview. uh, One of the things that they won't focus on is your hard skills because they will just assume as long as your CV is reasonably well put together, they will assume that you can do numbers, that you can, you know, operate X, Y, and Z tool uh, online. And, yeah, you might be asked for some demonstrable um, examples, but they'll move on pretty quickly. The conversation will move on to soft skills, influence, and competency-based, right? Mm -hmm. So once you've got that grounding, that foundation, you need to constantly go into a permanent uh, cycle of learning and growth around soft skills and, and competency based because that's where most recruiters will focus uh, their time with you. So they'll ask for, you know, how did you do this? Uh, they'll have a tick list. Yeah, they can do this. Yeah, they can do that. Um, and especially if you've got some demonstrable experience, even if it's not in product marketing, but doing something else where you can demonstrate you've got those hard skills, they'll want to know how you apply it, how you go about it. In the real world, as much as possible, they'll want to understand scenarios. So, again, you'll have to start getting into storytelling about how you met certain challenges, et cetera, et cetera, um, and the things that you did. So focus on the soft skills. Um, so, again, I know you've used this phrase already, but it, it's not the what you know, it's how you apply it, mm-hmm. right? And that's where you need to, to focus on it. And I think that soft skills is really where the growth will come from hard skills might open the door slightly mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the soft skills part is is a non-stop hamster wheel of learning yeah. uh, you know, for all the years i've been doing this uh, i'm still developing that side of things mm-hmm. uh, you can learn a new tool in a day potentially but the soft skill of things is about life and working with people yeah uh, so I would I would say that that's the area to focus on, and that, like I said before, that that's what will get you up the ladder. That's what get that's what will get you noticed. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree with, and as well with the kind of soft versus hard skill thing. I think that's quite like I wouldn't say it's controversial. I think a lot of people, when we do this product marketing side of podcast, we ask people, you know, what are the top skills you think are needed for the role? And communication mm. and collaboration are without doubt the first ones that come up. Um, yep. And as well, in the influencer report the last year, we were asking people like from Amazon, Google, etc., like what do you think the main skills are? And without yeah. doubt, again, it's communication and collaboration. Yeah, um, yeah. absolutely. No, I, I, com- I completely agree. Um, in a way, if you've got incredibly strong soft skills, but your hard skills are average, you can still do fine um, because it'll pull you through. But the reverse isn't necessarily true. So, you know, if you're the best data analyst or um, 
you're the best numbers person in your team, but you can't communicate effectively or meet a personal challenge that might be affecting the team. You know, let's say it's linked to morale. Some, you know, morale is taking a hit for X, Y, or Z reason. Then it's not going to help you. Mm-hmm. No, you I totally at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we're all people. We work together as a team. Um, so uh, that's the way I see it, anyway. And I've always approached my teams from that point of view too. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Well, this kind of ties into the next question as well. So I guess once people are actually in the industry and they're wanting yeah. to move up the ranks, and I know you've obviously done this over your time, I guess these kind of soft skills will play a large part in that. But what would your advice to be for people to look into make that next move? So, for example, from a product marketing manager to a senior product mm-hmm. marketing manager, yeah. senior team to a director and so on, like how do people go about making that next step? Yeah, I mean, it, it's... It, it is something that you need to think about. So, uh, and again, uh, it's difficult to um, qualify or quantify. It's one of those things that's very much uh, a grey area. But there, um, there are some common traits, right? So, and, and you're drawing on my experience. Well, I think that the first thing to think about is that if you if you feel that you're ready, and this is key, right? If you think that you are ready for that next step, at whatever level that next step is, so let me talk in sort of general terms, not specific terms, then ask yourself the hard questions. Why am I ready for that next step? What what empower, empowers me to go to that next level? Um, the, the One of the traits that really I don't like um, and I don't think anybody would like is, is somebody who feels entitled to a promotion, right? They, they feel like, you know, I've got all the hard skills. I've got the soft skills. Look at my achievements record. Look at the value that I've added. Give me the promotion. It, but it doesn't really work. It doesn't really work like that. Um, and, you know, I've been in these situations myself where, you, you know, if you've been in a job for a while in the same company and you might have experienced getting passed over for promotion, that's not the worst thing that can happen to you because, depending on how you react to it. It's not what happens to you, it's how you react to it. Um, because it's about what you're going to learn out of it. Why did you get passed over for it, right? What can I What can I do to make sure that the next time an opportunity comes up that I'm right there at the front of the queue and I'm a serious candidate, right? And I don't get passed over for it. And I think that, you know, Richard Branson uh, has this great quote, don't do the job that you have, do the job that you want. And I think that's a phenomenal quote. And there's so much to that, right? Um, in that before you, before you get passed over, you can live to that mantra or adopt some of that mantra in your day to day now, right? You can do it now. Don't wait for the, that promotional opportunity to come. Just believe that one day it will come, but do it now, right? So when it does come, not only do you already feel that you're ready, but the people who are the decision makers already see that you are ready because you've been getting yourself ready in the interim. And you're, sh- you're actually showing some kind of leadership right? you're in your own self-development, getting ready for it. So you're demonstrating it already before you, know, you get to the finishing line, so to speak. So I think do the job that you want. Uh, what does that actually mean? Well, obviously, it's scalable. So if you're going from a PM to a senior or a senior to a head or a head to a director or whatever, evaluate uh, the gap. So what is the gray area in between? And try to think uh, objectively, 
what is it in that role that's not in my current role? Be objective about it. And if you're not sure, ask people. It's absolutely okay to ask people. You can ask your, your, your line manager or even maybe your department head or, you know, someone even more senior than that. You know, any good nurturing company will absolutely make time for employees that want to show personal growth, right? And if you've got questions, there's no reason why any manager, even if it's not your own manager, um, wouldn't help you, right? So if somebody came knocking on my door, my door's open, you know, no problem at all. Uh, and I've done it myself, right? So I'm speaking from when it happened to me. Uh, I spoke with, um, it was at Microsoft, actually, uh, the general manager for the whole of the EMEA. And I had 45 minutes of his time. He gave me the most insightful, personal, grounded feedback that I truly valued. And he spoke to me as Harvey, the person, not Harvey, you know, the, the product lead or the product marketing lead. Um, and that was incredibly insightful. And I, it was something that I could action, right? So he gave me an insight to how he views that more senior role and then what he's looking for. So he, he explicitly told me, I'm looking for this, 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 and this. And I left the room. I thought, okay, I need to develop those four things. I just set about doing it. Uh, what does that look like in, you know, in real terms? Well, asking for that feedback is key. So, you know, at review time when you're doing your MBR, MBRs, if, if you do MBRs, sorry, MBOs, not MBRs, um, uh, ask for 350 feet, 360 feedback even, I was 10 short there. Ask for 360 feedback from peers, but most importantly, superiors, right? Because if you ask your peer group, you're going to get people largely agreeing with you. So if you, if you need to grow, you need to ask people above you what they think of you because they are the decision makers and they're the ones who determine uh, what's going to happen in the future. Um, and, not just engaging your manager and other managers, as I mentioned, but engage HR. So if you've got a proactive HR department who who truly are um, active around employee growth and learning, then they may have tools that you can use, which might help build your emotional intelligence. There might be self-development programs such as uh, insights discovery. Go on this journey of self-learning and self-awareness. Self-awareness of self-learning is really, really important. And then the second part is to demonstrate as much as that you, as much as you can in your current role. I'll give you an example. So there was a time when, uh, I, I was frustrated, a little bit bored. You know, the bit, a business had become very cyclical. It was, it would be an exciting job had become quite nine to five and I'd been passed over too, um, more than once for a particular role. And, I made these changes, right? And what came out of it was um, I ended up diversifying out of my current role with approval from my manager, uh, diversifying into an area uh, that put me in front of the leadership team. So I ran a side project uh, for the leadership team that was connected to what I was doing, so it wasn't completely out there. Um, didn't take up too much time, but it was high visibility and highly strategic, and it helped portray me in a different light. And it actually got commented in my end of year review. Uh, and there was another project, same year or a year after, I can't remember what it was, and there was an enormous event that we were running. And I, I volunteered to be the project lead on it. And, you know, we had 200 partners from all over Europe flying into Central Destination. We didn't have an events department. And um, the wearing of many hats aspects of it came in, into 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 
practice, but also my grounding in logistics in the music industry also helped as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, it was an example of something that happened 20 years earlier. I drew what I was able to draw on. So every, there's no such thing as a wasted experience, whether it's positive or negative. So there's two key steps. Do the learning, ask for feedback, take it on board, and then demonstrate outside of your current role in a different light. So don't do more of the same. Do something different mm -hmm. that helps you break out. So if you do more of the same, people just go, he's really or she's really great at that. Mm -hmm. But they won't see you in a different light. But if you do it in a different field, people will take notice. Okay. So I think that's 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 largely the key to it. And I've seen that kind of approach work really, really well. Um, of course, nothing's definitive. Um, so whether it's in the role that you have in the company that you are, maybe it does or doesn't work out for you. But if you apply the same principles, it will at some point in the future mm -hmm. work out for you. Maybe not in this company, maybe in the next. And that's actually what happened to me. It didn't necessarily work out in this company, but it did get me a promotion in a different company. Yeah. And it got me to where I wanted to be. So you do have to be a little bit patient. Yeah. Cliche saying alert, but everything happens for a reason. Okay, cool. So kind of looking back, I guess, on your career to date, what would you say your biggest learnings or takeaways have been while progressing through the product marketing field? To a certain level, it still puzzles me that there's no uniform definition of uh, product marketing, but in the same way, in the same breath, I'm not surprised either. Um, because obviously, um, product marketing means different things in different organizations and, and actually in different countries as well sometimes. So I think that, um, what do you think my biggest learnings are? Well, I think it, that it still differs from company to company and region to region, you know, even after, you know, the fact that I've been doing it for 25 years under the title of product marketing, but, you know, longer before. Um, in, in a way, it still hasn't, that part of it hasn't really, hasn't really changed. Um, and if you think about it, you know, traditional product marketing can lean on the scale, lean across the scale of things. If you think of it as a pendulum, pendulum, uh, so differently. So from traditional product marketing, you know, you can lean very heavily towards the product team and almost be a product person. Uh, and then, you know, it can lean towards category management. It can lean towards operations management or full staff marketing, right? Board marketing. And I've been in product marketing roles where each one of those actually applied. Mm -hmm. um, and I was questioning myself, what is product marketing? Because I don't see any uniform uh, definition from it. But actually, in a way, it's one of the traits of product marketing that it does differ mm -hmm. from, com from company to company or, or, or region to region. So I think that you have to take the ownership on you on yourself to think uh, if you want to get into product marketing what is the definition that works for you what aspect of product marketing is it that you want to get into and when you look at an opportunity at a particular company you need to think okay what are the aspects of this job that really interest me um and sometimes on face value it could seem like one thing but in reality it's actually something else mm -hmm. and you know if you're coming from product i'm diversifying a little, uh, digressing a little bit here but if you're coming from a product team but you want to get in product marketing it might not be the best idea um 
uh, to take a role that's very heavily orientated towards go to market mm-hmm. uh, because the gap will be so huge. So, you know, take it in tiny increments and, and you know, the, the same might be true coming from the opposite side, you know. Uh, so from a regional point of view, if you're going from a region to a global role, there's considerations there and vice versa. And I think that, you know, people need to, we all need to be very cognizant of those kind of dynamics because the dynamic is massively different. So unfortunately, I don't see the change massively, like I said, over the 25 years. But I think that the biggest thing that um, has changed is uh, the global regional uh, view and the B2C versus B2B views we spoke about earlier about that empowerment and, and how everything is product marketing has almost become a completely B2B endeavor. Yeah. Uh, it didn't, it didn't set out as, but you know, for me, well, that, that's just is what it is, right? But, um, if we take a look at global and regional levels of product marketing, I think that's one of the key areas that things re- where things really do differ. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give you four examples. So if you're in a global role, more, more than less, more or less, your role is largely strategic. And the reason for that is you're close to the center of decision making, right? You're, you're in the, not just the heat at the moment, but you are in the nebulous of absolutely everything that happens around the company, the mission and the product, right? And more than likely, you're going to be very close to the product team, if not actually sitting in the product team, potentially. But it, when you're in a region, and again, this hasn't changed over those years, um, when you're in a region, you're largely tactical and it's like the focus is more around go to market and sales enablement. And, you know, the key aspect of this is, is in, is converse to, um, the global view. So in the global view, you know, you're close to the center of decision making, whereas in a region, actually the decisions are made elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a degree or sometimes multiple degrees of separation between you and the decisions that are being made that might actually affect you. Um, And more than likely, instead of being close to the product team um, and the management team in a global role, you're going to be closer to the sales team, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is just a reflection of the fact that it's more of a tactical role and a go-to-market role. But uh, I've seen people move between those two roles before, uh, with varying degrees of success, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've, I've done both, and I won't comment about myself, but um, uh, I've done both. I like both. Um, so, you know, I'm somewhat agnostic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a preference to either? I do have a preference, yeah. I do have a preference for global mm-hmm. uh, because I'm generally more strategic, yep. um, quite a thoughtful person. Um, that's not to say that being tactical isn't a thoughtful endeavor, mm-hmm. um, but it's the scope of work that goes with that that I particularly enjoy. But the irony of it is I've spoke, I've probably spent most of my career in regional. <laughs> 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 so, you know, it ebbs, it ebbs and flows. Uh, and, and actually I'll touch upon this actually as well. So if you want to move between the two, there's a couple of key considerations, uh, that product marketers need to have. So if, if you're, if you're in a region, and when I say a region, I don't necessarily mean a country, but a region. So, you know, in my in my latest role, uh, I was working in emerging markets for the whole of Africa, the whole of the Middle East, and, and the Russian 
the Russian territories. Um, uh, how can you have more influence in headquarters? How can you uh, stop decisions being made on your behalf without your involvement? Because you're going to have to um, you're going to have to uh, deliver against the impact of those decisions, right? For, for better or for worse. Um, so you need to have more influence in HQ and, and HQ. You know, if they're if they're if they're reasonably halfway decent, you know, they'll be reaching out to you on a, re- on a reasonably regular basis. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have influence. That just means you're giving you're just passing over information over the fence, right? So um, from you know, drawing on my experience, one of the things because my time at Microsoft, my whole time at Microsoft was in the EMEA role, Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and you know. In the early days, there wasn't an, a global department. There was two international product managers in Seattle for the whole world, and that was it. So for the most part, in the early days, a lot of the decision-making was regional because it had to be. It was just um, horses for courses, so to speak. But over time, after a few years, actually, the global team was actually formed and built. And with that, obviously, the decision-making largely moved. Not about everything, because some of it was already in Seattle, but largely moved, making us more region, more regional and more sales uh, and tactical focused. Um, but as the only product marketer on first party hardware, um, so that's the console and the accessories, um, I still needed to have exercised quite a lot of uh, influence with the global team. So the way that I went about doing that was repositioning myself or my role not me personally but repositioning my role to them in their eyes so that they perceive me as part of their team so what did that mean so i took the initiative to go over to seattle often there was a time when i was going every six weeks and i would sit in the global team often as as often as i could in the monthly review meetings and be seen to be a part of their team but also as a key contributor, so not just to sit there and listen and lead, but to be an active participant and a contributor. So I would go with, you know, regional insights, research studies, numbers, data projections, the whole thing, and actually lift the lid, so to speak, on the region so that they felt and saw the value. Right? And I explicitly said to them, I am part of your global team. I just happen to sit somewhere else. And, you know, a combination of all those things over time enabled me to have an extremely cl- as close as possible relationship with the global team that enabled me to either get decisions for our region made that might not have poss- been possible to make or decisions that were going to be made on our behalf to get them not made to mm-hmm. say, you know, to learn to say no is often as important to saying yes, because you can't do everything. And, uh, it was a very, very successful relationship uh, from that point of view. But if we look at it from the other side, you know, if you're global and you're coming to regional, the first thing you've got to ask yourself is, am I going to be happy being a number of degrees of separation away from where the decisions are made? Mm-hmm. Because the energy is completely different, right? You're going from a strategic management organization uh, and often the product-led organization to a sales-led, tactical, sell it now, get to our targets this month, this quarter type of um, organization. So the first question you've got to ask yourself is you're going from global to regional. Is that, do I want that to be my life? Mm-hmm. 
you know, do I want to be that hands-on with sales enablement, customers, partners, and be held held accountable for sales results? So that's not to say that we're not all in global as well, but it's a softer view and it's a more global view. So the nuance is completely different. One is sharper than the other, so to speak. Um, but anybody who's got wants to make that move, my advice to you would be, you know, get into the regions as much as possible. So think about those lovely air miles you're going to rack up <laughs> in the future. Um, get out of the building is the best advice I can give you. Get out of the ivory tower, get out of the head office, the bubble that you may or may not be in. And go and talk to customers. Right. Go and talk to your users if it's the same or different. Um, and be visible in the regions and be the region's best partner. And, and not um, not from a hypothetical point of view, but actually from a real point of view. Make sure you're talking to your key product marketers um, weekly, uh, scheduled calls, be organized about it, and not when you just need something. So be, you know, they're, your, they're a stakeholder for you, be your partner's best partner. Uh, and last year, um, I, I lived this mantra massively for myself. You know, I traveled over 90,000 miles last year um, visiting regions because I was responsible for a, a, a region. I was sitting in London, which is where I am now, uh, but responsible for markets that were six, eight and 12 hours, 14 in some regards, uh, uh, flight away. Um, and I would be there once or twice a quarter in person. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the insight that you get from doing that is, is is enormous, whether you're regional or global. Um, so I think that made the, the main differences, uh, and that hasn't changed over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something that if you're moving from one side of the equation to the other, you need to be really cognizant of. Mm-hmm. And then final question for me, we touched on it a little earlier, kind of the variations from company to company, product to product, market to market. This is another thing that we see a lot of conversations about kind of defining products marketing and how difficult it is to define it because it is so different from company to company. Do you see that? Like, do you think there's a need for more of a standardization or do you think that will ever happen like in the future or? Oh, it's a bit like how long's a piece of string. Um, It's, um, it's a great question, but it's a very tough question to answer. And I think that in reality, if you, if we're being realistic about it, that, um, you know, if the evidence of my past 25 years is anything to go by, nothing's going to change from an organizational point of view, right? So even though, you know, the market landscape changes, the tools that we have you know, before, after internet, mobile first or otherwise, actually in reality, organizationally, a lot of companies haven't changed in terms of their view in that it's also different as, as you know, I spoke about earlier and I don't see that necessarily changing. Um, but so I think that the responsibility, even though we'd love it to be clearly defined and all, let's say the top one, you know, the Forbes 100 adopt a unified set of standards for what product marketing means, this, that, and the other, but it's not going to be, it's just not realistic. It's not going to happen. Uh, every business has its own needs and they cater to their own needs. So I think that the, then, you know, with that in that in mind, the responsibility lays with product marketers themselves, which is why I think PMA is is such a great forum and a great uh, basis in which to make that happen. Right. Uh, you know, 
when you slice it and dice it, obviously product marketing meaning different things to different product marketers as well. So it's not just the companies, you right? Um, whether it's B2C, uh, D2C, B2B, I mean, you name it. And um, so it, whether the team sits in marketing, whether the team sits in product, on our side, it's already already so di- so diverse. But what I think that one thing that we can do is that we can focus on the commonality of the traits in certain circumstances. You know, put them on a quadrant. You know, for want of a better uh, better phrase, put them on a quadrant and think, okay, for this type of product marketing role, it means this, this, and this. For this type, it means this, this, and this. And it's just a it's not really a framework, but it's just a general set of principles of what product marketing looks like in those different scenarios. And then I'm not sure that we can go much beyond that, but the responsibility I think has to lie with us, right? Not the companies. I think that's the key point. Uh, so if you're thinking about getting into product marketing or you're thinking about what's next, if you're already in product marketing, think about that quadrant, think about what those common traits are in the different scenarios, B2B, B2C, physical goods, uh, software goods or services, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, regional versus global. So slice and dice it. And then when you're looking at your opportunity, think where in this grid or this quadrant or whatever it looks like, does this role sit? What attributes do I need and what are common? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the way I've come to, to, to sort of look at it. Um, and it gets a little, um, a little more tricky for me because my, most of my background is on consumer. So I operate in a tiny little corner down on the right hand side of that chart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, but that's just natural evolution. But uh, that's the way I would look at it. I, I don't think it's possible, but we have to take our own responsibility, I think. Mm-hmm. I think you've just inspired our next framework with that little quadrant idea as well. So watch your space. <laughs> Stole it. <laughs> Sometimes the best ideas are the ones that just come to you on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Harvey. That's been all my questions for me, but it's been great speaking pleasure. to you. Absolute pleasure. Thanks very much. You're welcome. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to sponsor an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are.